0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Laland and Lawson. Lawson, how are you this morning?
1: I am so happy alive awake i arrived pretty early to the studio this morning yes we um,
0: recorded an interview this morning
1: that was just amazing yeah it's going to be coming up in the next couple of days it will be we're going to probably keep it under wraps. monday tuesday yeah that's right oh it's gonna be it so just explosive so epic um but other than let's that let's give them a teaser okay
0: Okay, so we spoke to somebody in Haiti this morning. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is you know one of the most poverty-stricken nations in the world, with one of the worst COVID rates uh, that has been smashed by an earthquake, uh, presidential assassinations, kidnapping of religious leaders, uh, massive storms coming through on top of that earthquake. Oh, don't give him too much, dude, dude. This is on Monday. We'll just. We spoke to someone on the ground. We spoke to someone. It was great. Mind blowing.
1: I tell you what, I am grateful for this morning as well. I wrote and finished a cookbook. Over the you 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 are a published author. Well, not really. It's more like you're an unpublished author. You're an author. It's a free resource that I'm. uh, That well a group. Me, myself, and a girl that I work with, Hannah, we made for the uni students at our local uni because we we're like, oh, how can we help people? So we made a free vegan cookbook, and um we're gonna be putting that out pretty soon. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be I don't know. I've just had all my time wrapped up in it, and I feel like a, a real designer. I'm like, man, I shouldn't I should go to uni for this making cookbooks or something. I don't know if there's a degree
0: for
1: <laughs> designing something like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, you gotta try and find a market for it. There's a decent There's market, a market for, for vegan cookbooks. cookbooks, dude. Yeah. Anyways, yo, La, what are you grateful for this morning? Ooh, what am I grateful for this morning? Uh, I probably should have a long list. Uh, let me think. What did I do yesterday? <laughs> the shed. Yeah, the shed. Let's just go to the shed. The shed is amazing. I had some shed time yesterday afternoon. Worked on my kitchen. You're
1: listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: All right, let's have some positively different news.
1: Okay, so I got called out yesterday for ah yes for that was epic. Uh, basically, no part. There was a lot of people saying different things, but part of one of the callouts was that Lawson do positively different news because you know sometimes where we just kind of jump into. Well, it's usually
0: me that tries to throw a negative <laughs> spin on the positive that Lawson is saying.
1: That's right. Well, I want to... I have to start with a negative story because because it is a continuation of something that I reported as a positive story. So, I believe it was on Monday, basically, I reported about how OnlyFans decided to remove sexually explicit content from their platform. Yes. And then last night, they announced on Twitter, uh, because of the backlash against their announcement, to... No suspend way. Suspend it. Um, oh, which you've is got to be joking. super lame. Um, you know, we, we talked, we, we kind of covered that, you know, what's going on there, the reasons why they would suspend it, which is, um, uh, backing from, uh, funders, also the ability that it gives minors to be able to upload and make money off sexually explicit content. So, you know, uh, basically produce child pornography, and uh, they had decided to remove it, and we were rejoicing, and it was like, this is a great thing. But unfortunately, they are going back on that for the time being. They are suspending it uh, from, you know, they've just had, like, global pressure from people who, who use the site. And obviously, for them, they're seen that, yeah, like, this is going to, you know, take it to our sales. So they've gone back on it. And that's terrible. Anyways, uh, let's, let's move on from that. Cause again, we're doing positively different news this morning. We're doing happy, great news. And I have a really amazing story, um, coming out of the, you know, everything going on in Afghanistan, uh, this week. As you know, the Taliban have come in. Uh, there's been the, the Taliban takeover and the U.S. withdrawal, people trying to get out of the country. And one of the stories coming out of that is the story of, um, a mother and Harvard graduate. Her name is Allison Renault. Um, and I, also the other party in this story being an Afghanistan all-girl robotics team. So basically, there's this team of. Uh, girls from afghanistan between the ages of uh at the moment they're 16 to 18 when they first met they were between you know 14 to 16 17 around those ages and uh basically they're they're a a robotics team you know that make robots and do cool things like that being trained in school and uh, and whatnot Really smart women. Um, they were brought out to the United States in 2019 when they had the uh, Humans to Mars summit, where Renault, a mother from Oklahoma uh, in the United States, met them, met the girls. You know, was really inspired by them. Had a you know good bond and and just the classic like you know foreigners coming over to your country, show them hospitality, invite them over, spend time with them, eat with them, um, bonded with the girls, got to know them, was like hey these people are really cool. Yeah, after they after that ended. Uh, the the robotics team uh, called the Dreamers uh, went back to the uh, went back to Afghanistan. Allison back to her home in Oklahoma with her eleven kids uh, that were all naturally born. I was um, s- surprised to see so she already coming from a big family. Um, but in the weeks building up to the Taliban takeover, Renault noticed uh, and became increasingly uh, aware and worried about. The welfare of the girls, you know, something that we've been discussing here on radio and a lot of people have been thinking is, is, you know, with the kind of extremist views and whatnot that the, Talib- the Taliban are bringing in, how would the treatment of women be, particularly um, educated women like this who are in that position to be able to benefit off their education now that they're, you know, it seems like there's a push against uh, education for women, as the Taliban has come in, you know, what's going to happen to them. And so, basically, this uh, lady, Alison Renault, she gets on the phone, she's calling the embassies, she's calling everyone just to get the girls out, to try and get them and to to secure their safety, um, and was becoming frustrated at the, the US government's lack of cooperation at the time, you know, obviously they were being inundated with, with what's going on as well. And so she ends up flying over to Qatar, which is the safe haven country from those fleeing from Afghanistan, um, and you know, getting in touch um, with the the Digital Citizens Fund, um, with the Qatari Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So pulling some strings, making phone calls, making it happen, and pretty much getting all 10 of the girls and their families on flights out of Kabul um, to Qatar, basically saving all of them, this group of 16 to to 18-year-olds and their families being able to get them out of Qatar. Now, they've come out. Um, and immediately, you know, this story has begun to blow up in the media. They've been inundated with, um, scholarship offers from prestigious schools in America, of housing offers of all these kinds of things. Um, and it's just, I see here anyway, yeah, a real win for human rights. Um, and, but also, you know, just this spirit of care, uh, that you can really see, um, Alison kind of relayed her emotion as she was reading the text that the girls got as they were boarding the plane, getting out of uh, Afghanistan, texting her, writing, you know, we did it, we're out. Um, and it's just something to really celebrate um, as, as a real triumph here. And so I, I think that these stories are something that really need to be highlighted at this time. And I think going forward as we see the, you know, continuation of, of the, the development of what's going on in Afghanistan, um, whether for, for bad or for worse, we really need to focus on, okay, but what are people doing to to stand up? So we're going to be seeing more stories like this, hopefully. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was really beautiful and it was something that I wanted to talk about.
0: That, uh, is, that is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, we uh, we think about... What is happening in Afghanistan, and you've got some of these girls that have got such bright futures ahead of them, uh, but under the Taliban regime, we would expect that those Mm. futures will just be gone um, as far as being able to pursue, you know, their interest in science and technology and so forth. Yeah. You know, who knows what the future holds, and we can only pray that the Taliban is a different Taliban than what used to exist in the past. That's right. you know, I'm not holding my breath.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like that reality of, like, either it's a different Taliban or... You know, we just, they just need more help, more prayer, uh, and more of an effort to be able to, to support the people who are going through that in Afghanistan. All right. In the last uh, closing moments that I have here, I wanted to share. So, IKEA, uh, the company that we all know and, and mostly love, unless you are, are particularly um, anti flat pack furniture, um, they've actually in Sweden itself, uh, they've begun selling uh, solar panels and solar Powered furniture and all these things. And what we're seeing here is like a, a large, major retail uh, retailer like Ikea just selling off-the-shelf solar panel that you can do by yourself. Now, this exists. Like, you you have the ability to get a hold of solar panel. But, it, 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 again, it's something that usually needs to be installed by an expert or someone who knows what they're doing. I'm like, dude, what? this is the development that needs to happen with solar panels, is that you can just plug it in. To the wall, chuck it in the sun, and just charges your house. Like, if it's coming to Ikea, like the store shelves in Ikea, where you can just roll up with a shopping trolley and chuck it in. Like, surely we can develop a system where you just you just plug it in and just chuck it in the sun and bam, there you go, you're
0: good. Yeah, uh, well, um, there is this thing called an inverter that has to go in between. Yeah, just... But surely you could make an inverter that plugs in. Exactly. But it does have to go in through your circuit breakers because if it goes directly in and bypasses the circuit breaker, then that could be dangerous, but the inverter could have its own circuit breakers in it. I, I, yeah. My idea, this can't be hard. This can't be hard. It can't You're be some, hard. you come up with a plug, genius idea. Plug
1: and play solar panels. You just bam, there you go, you got solar power.
0: You know, this is as good as my idea of putting power under freeways. <laughs> We'll see what happens.
1: You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: All right, so we had somebody yesterday who from our bragging rights community who decided to take home the uh, the show bags. So yeah, that was just absolutely fantastic. We love, love to share. We love to share with everybody. Hmm. Good stuff. All right, let's go to more serious news, and this one uh, is is in relationship to, and it's kind of one of these bizarre stories. Because in science today we have this, you know, the higher levels of science we have a shift away from evolution. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't necessarily represent a shift towards God, but it's a recognition that evolution doesn't actually work at the higher levels. Mm. And we're seeing more and more and more of this. You know, this sort of really began with um, when we were fully able to map and gain some understanding of DNA. Mm-hmm. In recent years, it has been accelerated by things like, you know, soft tissue in dinosaurs has become almost universal. It's like every mm. second dinosaur that they dig up now has soft tissue in it. It's like, well, that's clearly not millions of years old. Mm. That is clearly in the low thousands. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and this is like, nobody can argue against this. And so you've got this move away at the higher levels. Now, What we do have and what we've recognised for a very long time is what is about a 30-year lag between the higher levels of science and the classroom Mm. because, you know, first of all, you've got to make your discovery, then you've got to research your discovery, then you've got to published on your discovery, then it has to be peer-reviewed, then it has to be criticised, then you have to answer all of, all of those criticisms, and then that discussion is going to continue for another 10 or 20 years, you know, as all of that takes place until eventually the science community goes, okay, we can put this in a textbook. Yeah, that's right. And so what we need to remember is when we're studying science in high school that, you know, we're, we're studying stuff that's 30 years out of date. Mm. Uh, and that's a bit of a problem. That's a, a, a disappointment in relationship to uh, science. It's one of the problems of being human beings, I guess. But we're kind of in this interesting position right now where in the United States, they just did uh, some research there and found that amongst young people and amongst students, belief in creation is dropping And uh, has begun to uh, has begun to drop quite rapidly in very recent years, and we need to look at some of the uh, reasons behind this. So this was a thirty-year scientific, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, not thirty years, but sorry, it was the public acceptance of evolution in the United States uh, research. 1985 to 2020, it was conducted by the University of Michigan, Mm -hmm. and it brings together data from a series of national surveys that took place. And so what it it points out is this. From 1985 to 2016, there was a 50-50 split in the United States between people who accepted that human beings evolved from monkeys and those who did not. So that's quite high numbers. Yeah. Very, very high numbers. What's happened is that from 2016 until now, those numbers have plummeted. Okay. And now you have uh, a 40-60 split in favour of evolution. Uh, Evolution, uh, the specific question was monkeys to humans. Mm. And so... We sort of have to ask ourselves the question, why? What happened in 2016? Why has there been this massive swing away from evolution? Have you got, you know, less, have you got people being more educated or whatever it might be? And I'd like to put forward a theory. Because if you think about it, Lawson, it was in around 2016 that you had the whole issue over uh, morality began to really. Gain momentum, same-sex marriage, these kinds of issues became massive around that particular period. Mm-hmm. Along with that, then we've had the follow-on with uh, gender ideology. Mm-hmm. And I would say that these have been massive contributing factors because you can't go down the path of you know, same-sex marriage and gender ideology as being natural uh, to the human race while you accept that human beings were created in the image of God Male and female, and that they were created that way, and that you know, relationships uh, and mindsets that exist outside of that are an aberration of creation rather than the norm. Mm. You can't accept those as being the norm if you're going to stick with evolution. Okay, and there's been this massive social pressure. And I think that's, in my mind, that social pressure has then pushed people like, well, I can't have this and this, so therefore I'm going to go with evolution because that allows me to um, buckle to the social pressure. That's right. Mm. So, you know, it's just it, it's just my personal theory because I look at these stats and I'm like, what happened in 2016? That's the mm. only major thing that I see happening in 2016. Um, it, it's also really, uh, it, it highlights the major failure of religious schools to equip students you know every student who's in year 12 uh, and about to go into university should do a course of of uh, you know learning how to answer the arguments that are going to put forward mm. uh, they should have science classes on how they can actually answer these things when they go to university There's, there should be a course in apologetics for every year 12 student in a faith based school What's interesting is that amongst fundamentalists, eight percent in 1988 believed that we evolved from uh, monkeys. That's now 32 percent by 2019. Uh, Politically, Republicans: 76 percent of Republicans reject that we evolved from monkeys. 83 percent of Democrats accept that we evolved from. Wow,
1: that is surprising. It's a
0: very, very, very clear split. Mm. Uh, very, whoa. yeah, it really draws a line in the sand between Republicans and Democrats in the United States. Mm. And I think it would probably be fairly similar here, but with a much le- lower acceptance of uh, of creation in this country. Sure. Mm. Anyway, I did say that we would have a bit of a COVID update, so let's talk about COVID for a moment and specifically the vax because we have our very first vax that has FDA approval. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, As of yesterday, Pfizer got approved. Mm -hmm. It's through the uh, Food and Drug Administration in the United States. Normally it takes 24 months for a vaccine to be approved. This one has taken 20. Okay. Um, And part of the reason for that is because of the massive numbers of people you've got between 10 and 12 years of research that has been done uh, in the space, you know, research of the initial effects. Yeah. Of the vaccine, because you won't have long-term um, research on that for many, many years to come yet, uh, because there's kind of no other way of mm. getting that research apart from actually waiting for that <laughs> waiting time it to go out. past. Yeah, waiting right. for that time to go past. But you've got between ten and twelve years of research that has taken place in just twenty months because uh, of the massive numbers that have gone out. Uh, I think Pfizer is sitting at. Actually, I'm not sure, but it is the most popular vax worldwide. Mm-hmm at the moment is the one that has been used. And so far there have been 5 billion doses of COVID vaccines that have gone out. That's 32.9% of the world. And the UAE is leading the charge with 84%. uh, Tanzania Tanzania, at the other end at 0.37%. Uh, so just some interesting stats right here. Uh, the country with the most people vaccinated is India at 457 million. Uh, the USA, half that at 202 million. The fastest rollout anywhere in the world is, this will surprise you, Ecuador.
1: Oh, that is surprising. Yeah, I, thought you were you not to, gonna... I thought you were about to say Australia and I was going to call you a liar. But
0: Okay, so Ecuador has a rollout speed similar to New South Wales. Okay,
1: yeah,
0: fair enough. Um, so, one point five seven per one
1: hundred.
0: Mm. Uh, that would be fairly the US. Just to compare that, the the rollout speed in the US is zero point two six uh, per hundred. By continent, Asia uh, leads the world by far, followed by North America and Australia, followed by Europe, uh, which are all fairly close to each other. I mean, Asia is just like like years ahead, but North America and Europe very close. Uh, then South America and finally Africa, where vaccinations are almost unheard of. Um in Australia well 32% are still vax hesitant or vax opposed so those are some pretty big numbers for this country You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different all right, 0491064669. Make sure you save that number in your phone so that you can be part of our breakfast show community here on Faith FM. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is Claire Evans. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lyle. Lovely to be here. Now Claire, you and I kind of go back a long way. In fact, I'm not sure how far back we go. So I know some we of go your back story. A fair way. Yeah, it's a fair way. I know some of your story and you're going to have to remind me of a whole bunch of details and then probably fill in a bunch of stuff in between because our paths do go separate ways there for a while. But you come from Tasmania, which of course for those who don't know is the Promised Land. I do remind our listeners that from time to time. Not only do you come <laughs> from Tasmania, you come from Glen Hewen in Tasmania, which is where I grew up, also Dr. John Ashton, who is a regular contributor on this show, spent a lot of time there in Glen Hewen. So yeah, Glen Hewen has a bit of a a feature here on Faith FM from time to time. But Claire, take me back to your family, to your origins. We're going to talk about your walk with God, your journey of faith today. Uh, Did you grow up in a Christian home?
2: No, no, I didn't. That's a very complicated
0: story. Yes. Okay, so if I remember it rightly, and you're going to have to help me out here, but I remember as a kid an evangelistic program happening in, I think it was like the Huonville Town Hall, and your mum came to that program. Would that be right? Yes. She
2: she was invited to come along um, by people who she had met outside the church, who actually went to the church? So they—I don't know if you remember the ward. Yes. They actually invited her to come along.
0: Okay, so your mum comes and along so, to this. Uh, so she, she, she comes along to this evangelistic program. Did she have a, like a, uh, a religious experience before that?
2: I don't believe so. I think she had been searching. You no, know, I remember my grandmother speaking to her about the church that she went to.
0: Okay, so she comes in contact and maintains contact with the Adventist church there for a while. How does that affect your life as kids, and how old would you have been at the time?
2: I would have been under six.
0: Okay, so you're pretty young, and I imagine that you would have come along to church at that particular time and gone to the kids' Sabbath school and all that kind of thing. Would that be right?
2: Oh, yes. I have very fond memories of, of Sabbath school. I, I remember your mum used to run the Sabbath school and I can still remember a lot of the beautiful songs that she told us and a lot of the, the beautiful stories that she read us.
0: Yeah, we had a fantastic little country church there at Glen Hewan at the time, great little uh, country school and so forth and it was a great environment to live and to grow up in a, a fantastic community. Just moving on in the story though, after some period of time and I don't remember how much your mum kind of moved on in her Christian experience, you guys weren't coming to church anymore. Uh, but at some particular point, you reconnected with the church. Can you share with us a little bit about that process there and what happened? Well,
2: after mum stopped going to the church, I I still believed. So I still used to say my prayers every night before I went to bed. And this continued for quite some time until I was in, I think it may have been middle to late high school, and I really felt a need to go back to church. So I spoke to my mum about it because at the time I was young and I didn't have a car and I didn't have a licence. So somewhere along the line, my mother had approached a member of the church. It turned out that you were actually quite happy to run me back home after church. So mum said that she would bring me to church. And you told mum that you would be happy to bring me back
0: home again. Yeah, and we had uh, quite a vibrant little youth group, little country youth group happening there at that time. We did. Which was was a great community of young people. In fact, it was kind of like this little country church where we kind of punched a long way above our body weight, didn't we?
2: We we, we certainly did that,
0: (laughs) yes. I even remember, uh, you know, the Glen Ewan Church running a uh, a youth rally for the state at one particular time. All kinds of things that were happening. We had small groups happening. Yeah, Bible studies taking place from time to time. And as I remember, I think, I think
2: from from memory, we also did uh forty hour famine.
0: I had forgotten that. <laughs> so this yes. is this is Lila yes. Claire having a bit of a reminisce here on uh, on, on Faith FM this morning. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> But one of the reasons that I want to share this story is that your story is actually a part of my story, and my journey of faith as well. Because you were one of the very first people that I ever ended up doing Bible studies with.
2: Yes, that's right. Um, I I wanted to be baptized and become a member of the church and give my life to Jesus. I think it was you and Russell did Bible studies with me up up at Mum and Dad's overnight time. Out in that freezing cold room.
0: I don't remember it being freezing cold, but I do remember uh, heading up there in the evenings and studying the Bible. And sometimes, you know, some of your siblings would sort of pop their head, head in, or sometimes uh, they'd even join in for <laughs> yes. a little bit just out of curiosity. But we had some great Bible studies there, and from my memory of that, I pretty much violated all of the principles of how to give a Bible study that I now teach Bible workers how to give Bible studies. But somewhere along the line, after having broken all of those principles of how to give a Bible study, you still made it a, a decision for Jesus Christ and were baptized. I did,
2: yes. Well, from from my recollection, I, I didn't see it that way because I'd, I'd never had Bible studies before. So for me, that was just a very normal way of learning about the Bible and learning about Jesus and God, and and it it was wonderful. I I still remember those those Bible studies. It was great.
0: See, your story, Claire, is one that I use from time to time when I'm training people how to give Bible studies because I say, you know, I did this Bible study one time and I break all, broke all of, the, all of the principles of how to give a Bible study, but the person still <laughs> gave their life to Jesus Christ. So the most important thing about Bible studies is not knowing all of the fine details of how to do it. The most important thing is doing it Yes, and remembering that it's the work of the Holy Spirit and not our work. You know, we can't convert anybody. It is the Holy Spirit who does the work Holy of conversion. Spirit. And you know, know, we can we can foul up a Bible study as much as possible. But if what we have <laughs> what we have done by actually being there is created an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to actually to actually work. And that's what took place and we can praise God for that. We certainly can. Now, over time, our paths went different directions. Um, I went to the United States. You stayed in the Huon Valley. And sadly, over time, that little church kind of closed down. You moved on. And there's a whole patch of your life there that I'm not entirely familiar with. But I do know that throughout all of it, you maintained a connection with God. Tell us about that part of the journey. I didn't maintain my
2: connection with God during the whole journey. I got to a point in my very late teens where I lost my way. I stopped going to church after all of our friends had sort of left the church and moved on and gone all their separate ways. I, I stopped going to the church because it just it just wasn't a lot of fun for me anymore. I did a few things through those couple of years that I'm I'm not proud of, but I've talked to God about it. So it was one night. I had started having um, anxiety attacks and I became afraid to be in the house on my own because I'd, I'd moved out of home at this stage and I was, I was living on my own. And I was afraid to be inside on my own. I actually felt safer outside. And I, I was sitting on the step and, and I remember thinking, what am I doing with my life? I need Jesus back in my life. And I just fell on my face on the ground, and I begged for forgiveness. Mm. And praise the Lord, he certainly took me back, and um, my faith continued from there.
0: During this time, of course, though, that little church actually closes down, doesn't it?
2: It closed down a few years ago, sadly. Um, There were just not enough members attending anymore, and quite a lot of stuff. Needed to be done maintenance wise to the church, so unfortunately, the the powers that be decided that it was time to close it down and to sell it on. So it was very, very sad to see.
0: And it's very, it is one of those very sad stories that you see in quite a number of country churches. And of course, you know, with the youth group that we had, everybody pretty much got spread all over the world. And I think that you were the probably the only, only one of our youth group that actually stayed living in the valley, which was. Um, yeah, kind of sad. Okay, so now you've yes. reconnected with God at a personal level, but... God, Very personal. Yes, and, uh, you know, Facebook comes along and old friends connect with each other. I think we must have caught up there at some stage. And, and, of course, you've had big things happening in your life. You've got a husband, you've got a family, you've got amazing things happening there. And yes, praise God. A, a number of miracles. Okay, so I want you to tell me about the miracle of your family and how you ha- come to have a the family that you have, and then I want you to tell me about a very special event that took place very, very recently. Can you share those two stories with us?
2: I'd love to. So when, when I was a young child, all I ever dreamed of was becoming a, a good wife and a mother. I really, really wanted to have children. I, I didn't want to be a nurse. I didn't want to be a firefighter. All I wanted to be was a wife and a mother. And I prayed. I prayed to God to please give me those things. Anyway, the years passed and I've I've had type 1 diabetes since I was two. When I was 16, there were some complications with my kidneys due to the diabetes. And when I was 16, I was told by the doctors that I would never be able to have children. As you can imagine, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. But I kept praying. I kept praying anyway. I met my husband at the beginning of 1998 and we got married and we fell pregnant. So, of course, Claire was over the moon and extremely grateful until she went to the doctors. The doctors told me that I should abort the pregnancy because I would lose my kidney function and end up on dialysis. We had a one in three chance of the baby having a spina bifida because of uncontrolled blood sugar levels at the time. We also had a greater than 50% chance of losing the baby at any point through the pregnancy. So I discussed this with my husband and he said that he would support me no matter what I chose to do. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. It did not feel right to terminate life. So I went back to the doctors and I said, well, no, I'm not going to terminate this life. I'm just going to let God guide it and look after it. And whatever happens, it's in his hands. Anyway, we were sailing along through the pregnancy. Kidney function dropped at week 30. I ended up into hospital. It didn't, get, didn't drop enough to warrant dialysis. We got into 34 weeks and the doctors decided that it was time to deliver the baby because she had a great chance of surviving and they didn't want the kidney function to drop any further. So she was delivered six weeks early, very healthy, no spina bifida. And, um, yes, yeah, so, you know, I, I have been given a true miracle and people, people will often say to me when, when we're discussing world events or even their personal lives, and they, and they, they say to me, there, there is no God. If there was a God, why are all of these bad things happening? And I say to them, No, there is a God. There is definitely a God, and these bad things aren't because of God. That story is my is my testament. Jesus Christ,
0: mm, praise God. Okay, and that's not the uh, that's not the last miracle that you had because you had another miracle after no, that one. No,
2: right? we certainly did. So we were sailing along for quite a few years and the kidney, the kidney function unfortunately did drop to the point where I needed uh, dialysis when Rochelle was about 12 years old. So she was, you know, reasonably independent at that stage. 12 months later got a phone call to say that they had a kidney for me. So off we flew to Melbourne and after the transplant, a transplant nurse we we, we were discussing life after transplant and she said to me you know you can have another baby if you want to and I just cried I cried and cried and cried and I gave thanks and praise to God because I never thought that I would have another one and, and we've had a beautiful baby boy so praise God he didn't only give me one miracle he gave me two
0: Praise God for that. That's absolutely amazing. Now, of course, um, in in more recent times, because obviously you've had through these miracles, it has really strengthened your faith in God, but you've also reconnected with the church. Real quick, what happened very recently?
2: I was actually doing your Bible studies, the prophetic code, and I got about halfway through them, and I felt a real need to be fellowshipping with other people again. So I decided to drive up to Margate Church, and I had been going for a few weeks and still continuing on with the Bible study. And I felt a real pull to be rebaptized. And we discussed it and I was rebaptized this Saturday. Just gone. So praise God. You know, I, I had given my life to Christ a long time ago. This for me was just showing to everybody else that I am prepared to do whatever is necessary for Jesus Christ.
0: Absolutely, and praise God for that. That's a wonderful story, Claire. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing it with us here on Faith FM. May God bless you as you continue to be a part of that church community there in Margate, and may God bless you as you continue to walk with Him. Thank you
2: very much, and God bless you
0: too. That was Claire Evans from uh, Glenhillon in Tasmania, a place where I grew up. We've had a bit of a reminisce here this morning, but right now we're going to move on with the show.
2: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.